We're in our final uh, part of the series on worship. For those that don't know me, I don't know if there are any, but I'm Steve. And uh, it's great to be with you this morning just to share on encountering the Holy Spirit in worship. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, there is one God, and he has existed eternally as a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God along with the Father and the Spirit. And we're going to read a passage from John's Gospel where all three feature Father, Son, and Spirit. We're going to read from John chapter 4. Now Jesus is going from Jerusalem to Galilee. He has to go through Samaria. And in verse 5 of John chapter 4, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How, how can you ask me for a drink? Because Jews uh, do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the, with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said, well, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I'm not sure she quite got it at that point. Anyway, Jesus then goes on to reveal to her that he knows everything about her, her past, her present, her life, her relationships. And she says, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Now, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. She was in Samaria. They had their own temple on Mount Gerizim, which had been destroyed about 100 years before. But that's where their ancestors had worshipped. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit, in the spirit, and in truth. I want to draw out three things from this amazing story. This is my favorite passage to preach from, and there are so many sermons in it. But today, just three things. First of all, God's great quest. In this, we see that the Father is seeking worshipers. That's what he's looking for. That's God's quest. Secondly, God's free gift, the gift of God, living the living waters of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, 
God's new home. Not in Jerusalem, not on a mountain in Samaria, not a temple built by human hands, but the place where we can now find and worship God. Where is it? Well, we'll come to that. So firstly, God's great quest for worshippers. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. Now, God is seeking worship. It's okay for him to do that because he's perfect. And in fact, it would be uh, it, he would not be God if he did not want to draw the attention of the whole creation to his perfection, his holiness, his love, his justice, his mercy, his majesty. Everything about him is perfect. And he shares it with us. That's what worship is about. Us coming to enjoy him for who he is. He doesn't need worship or praise in order to shore up any deficiencies or flaws in himself. He's a perfect God and his, and he invites us to enjoy his glory. But God does not just simply look for worship. He's looking for worshippers. He's looking for a relationship. He's looking for you and for me to become those who become so besotted with him that we, he becomes to us the source of all joy and delight and reveling. He's the perfect God for us to enjoy. And he wants us in relationship with him from the dawn of humanity when he first walked in the garden with Adam. And then... Uh, when Adam fell and disobeyed God, God has continued his quest for worshippers. He sent Moses to, to Pharaoh to say, let my people go that they may worship me. He was looking for worshippers. And here, right at this well, Jesus is on the Father's mission. Jesus always said, I can do nothing except what I see the Father doing. And what did he see the Father doing? Looking for worshippers. Looking to bring men, and in this case, a woman whose life was so messed up, out of uh, darkness, into light, out of living for other things, to living for the one true living God himself. So Jesus was pursuing the lost in order to save them and to bring them into relationship with the Father, to become worshippers of the Father. So God is not only looking for worship, he's not only looking for worshippers, he's looking for a very particular kind of worship. Our text says that. This is the kind of worship that the Father seeks. And it's a, so it's that not all worship is acceptable or pleasing to God. Not all worship has any real impact on it. And Jesus elsewhere says that, um, the, the, quoting Isaiah, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their worship is in vain. God isn't just looking for the right words or the right actions. He's not looking. There isn't a ritual to perform in order to be a worshiper. There is not a set of truths to be recited. There are, there are not actions that we have to go through. He's looking for worship that comes from the heart. He wants your heart, not for you to try harder, not for you to mouth words, even the right words. That just doesn't do it. But authentic worship connects our heart hearts with the heart of God uh, through the Holy Spirit and in the truth of God's word as well. Now there's much that can be said about the importance of truth in worship. Um, the 
uh, how we need to understand God accurately and for our understanding to be shaped by Scripture. Uh, that will have to be for another time, really. But let me just say that in, right now we're focusing down on the role of the Holy Spirit in worship. But remember, he is the Spirit of truth who guides us into all truth. And it's not like eggs and bacon where you can choose to have one but not the other. Right? The Spirit and the truth are inseparable in worship. You looked puzzled then. Eggs and bacon, yeah. You can, you can have eggs and bacon, eggs or bacon, but you can't, but you need the spirit and truth in worship. So, my first challenge really to you is, will you hear God's call to become a worshipper? You may not even know this God yet, and yet the first thing that he's seeking from you is to come into intimate relationship with him, to discover someone who is worth living for in a way that nothing else or no one else is. Uh, to He's calling you to be free, to abandon yourself, to follow him, to enjoy him. And But the problem is, our problem is that we can't do this on our own. We don't have the capacity to worship God as he ought to be worshipped. We need God's Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see him clearly, to win our hearts so that we love him more than anything or anyone else, to free us so that we can worship him with real abandon. The Spirit is the go-between God. He's the one who joins our spirits to, the, to God's heart and helps us to cry out, Father, uh, to him. In Philippians, Paul says that the true people of God are those who worship by the Spirit of God. So we have God's free gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has already offered that. He says, this is the, if you knew the gift of God, this living water that can spring up and well up within you and flood your life, then you wouldn't pursue anything else. There wouldn't be anything else you want. But a dead soul cannot worship. The woman herself needed an infusion of life. She needed, in order to become a true worshiper, she needed, what Jesus was offering, life-giving water for the soul. And elsewhere, um, sorry, when, when he was pointing to the well, Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In another place, a little later in John's Gospel, Jesus stood up in front of a crowd and he said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, John says, he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit hadn't been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified, but he was promising it, offering it, inviting people to come and drink. So to worship God in the way that is pleasing and acceptable to God, the kind of worship that he seeks, we need the Holy Spirit. We need those springs of living water welling up within us. So I'm going to ask you, are you thirsty?
Do you want more of God? Do you want the Holy Spirit filling you and refreshing you and pouring through you and bringing you into an intimacy with God that is joyful and, and just, wow, just amazing? So there has to be more than this. There has to be more than we currently experience on a regular basis. Where is the power? Where is the joy? Where is the freedom that we see in the early Christians? Where are the rivers of living water? Where? How do we receive this today? Well, first, I want to say that being filled with the Spirit, if you if you're filled with the Spirit, you know it. It has a sensory aspect to it. You feel something. But it's not about the pursuit of feelings. Right? And we'll come back to that again. It's the pursuit of God himself. And God says that he gives the Spirit without limit. He freely gives the Spirit. He says that if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So how is the Spirit given? Well, uh, John the Baptist spoke about the coming of Jesus and said two significant things about him. He said that Jesus is going to take away the sins of the world and Jesus is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He says that in all four Gospels. So Jesus is the one who does this. And Jesus himself promises to give the Spirit. And after he's uh, been crucified and has risen again from the dead, he spent 40 days appearing to his disciples um, after the resurrection. And in that time, he said to them uh, that they were to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high, until the Spirit of God was poured out upon them, and then they would go and be his witnesses, uh, first in Jerusalem and then beyond. And he said, in a few days' time, this is going to happen. Jesus then ascends into heaven, hidden by a cloud, and that's where he is now. He's enthroned at the right hand of God. And just a few days later, on a Jewish feast, the Feast of Pentecost, where thousands had come to Jerusalem to celebrate it, the disciples were in a room in Acts chapter 2. They were all together in one place. And suddenly, like a, the, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the place where they the house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as other languages as the spirit enabled them this was it this was what jesus had promised this is what john the baptist had promised this is what the prophet joel had promised as peter goes on to elaborate and peter explains it uh, as he as they spill out into the street and people say, hey, are these people drunk? No, it's too early. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And Peter says, stands up and says, these men are not drunk, as you supposed. No, they're just wild extroverts. No, he doesn't say that, right? This isn't just for extroverts. This is for ordinary people, regardless of personality or temperament. He says, this is what the prophet spoke of. This is the pouring out of God's spirit on all people, men, women, your sons and your daughters. This is the gift of God now freely poured out because Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. 
And then as the people hear his preaching about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and they begin to respond, he says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin, your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off to anyone that God calls. This promise is, is set in motion, not just for one special day 2,000 years ago at the inauguration of the church, but it's a promise for you, for your children, and for everyone worldwide. Wow. For anyone who's turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Now, therefore, is it automatic? Does it automatically happen simultaneously with you becoming a Christian? Well, we, the book of Acts gives us some examples. So it gives us an example of Peter preaching to the Roman centurion Cornelius and his household. And even as Peter was sharing the gospel with them, the spirit fell. And they started speaking in tongues and praising God. That was instant. That was like more than instant. It was Peter hadn't even made his appeal. And the Spirit of God fell upon them. And yet there's another occasion when uh, in Samaria, uh, many people came to faith in Christ through Philip's preaching and were baptized. But then the apostles in Jerusalem heard about it and went up to see what was going on and realized that they had not received the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them and the Spirit of God came and they spoke in tongues. And so that was probably days later, at least. There's an Paul's own conversion himself on the road to Damascus. You know, he sees Jesus, falls to the ground as though dead. He gets up, he can't see anymore. He's been blinded. Three days later, a man called Ananias comes to visit him and prays for him, for his sight to be restored and for him to receive the Holy Spirit. Three days after he's encountered Jesus. So... I think that Acts gives us a clue that it can be instantaneous with our coming to Christ, or it can be subsequent. Now, um, it doesn't have to be a long time afterwards. It's for everyone. It's for everyone, okay? And it's also really clear from the book of Acts that it's not just a one-off, but again and again and again. The same disciples who were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, not that long afterwards, were in a house together that was sh where the house was shaken as if there was a mini earthquake. Um, and they were again filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the word with of God with boldness. And the language that's used in the book of Acts is different. It varies. It talks about being baptized with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, receiving the Spirit, the Spirit coming upon people, the Spirit Spirit being poured out. It's like, it can be like a, a, a whole bath of water being poured out upon you. It's, it's a, it's a dramatic experience in the book of Acts. And it's not just for special people. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 more people received the Holy Spirit. That is clear from what Peter promised them. And, and Paul's ongoing command to us in the book of Ephesians is that we're to keep on being filled with the Spirit. So I don't really want to pigeonhole anybody as to whether you have or haven't. And if you have, there's more. 
But I just want to say for all of you, there is more of God's spirit than you can possibly have experienced so far. There is more, okay? There is more for you today. Today. Yeah, there's an inv- going to be an invitation today to come and drink. If anyone is thirsty, come and drink. If by the time I'm done, all you have is some more information, then my time and your time will have been wasted. Yeah, I want you to prepare yourself to receive more from God this morning. He knows how to give good gifts to his children. So when I first became a Christian, uh, for the first few years, I really struggled. I struggled even to call God Father in prayer. Uh, In all my prayers, I could only address him as Lord because uh, objectively, I knew that I was a child of God and that he was my father, but it felt like a servant-master relationship. I knew that there was something more. And when I was eventually filled with the Holy Spirit, one evening in a small group meeting, I found myself crying out to him as as father and with the the spirit within me, just as, as Paul describes in Romans 8, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought you out of your adoption to sonship. Uh, Sorry, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a Hebrew Aramaic word for for father, for daddy. It's a very familiar, intimate word. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are God's children. On that evening when the Spirit of God came in in a fresh way that I'd never experienced before, testified with my spirit that I was a child of God. And that was just the beginning. Um, in Romans 5, Paul describes another aspect of this experience. He talks about God's love has been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. It's a pouring out of the love of God. It's one thing to know objectively that God loves me because he sent his son to die for me. It's another thing to know it personally, to feel it. Really, it, it, you, this doesn't happen without you knowing it. It's, it's not kind of some abstract thing. It's a whole new dimension to knowing God's love poured out within you. For me, for times of worship began to flow like a stream of unstoppable praise, often with the gift of tongues, but not always, but just in in, in all of that, my mind being sharply focused on the glorious Lord Jesus. I, I, from time to time, have had crystal clear prophetic revelations, times when God has given me songs, sometimes very simple songs, sometimes verse after verse with new words. Um, Just by the Spirit, I've prayed for the sick and seen miraculous healing on occasions. I've known times when physically my body has shaken with the overwhelming love of God. I've known times when I cannot stand, I have to lie on the floor with God's spirit being poured out upon me. Uh, But I must add, never ever have I felt out of control or taken over, as it were. And if someone had said, stop, that's enough. 
that would have been fine. So it's, it's more like choosing to bend with the wind and to uh, let the Spirit of God work. Last week, Dave spoke about the importance of lament in our worship, that there are hard times and there are evil things in our world. And God expects us to cry out to him, how long, God? How long? He expects us to wrestle with him and to express our, our pain and grieving. And yet... Uh, that kind of deep and holy discontent with the way that things are and the brokenness around us is something that the Spirit helps us with. In Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through us with wordless groans. I've known times of being... Uh, just pinned down by God and crying out with groans that are, are without words for situations that are utterly overwhelming in terms of their tragedy and awfulness. And I've known times of, of being able to pour out lament to God with the help of the Holy Spirit. And there have been times as well, too few I'm afraid, when I found it so easy to talk about Jesus with a, a boldness and a freshness, uh, without any sense of cringing and just talking about how much I love him to those who don't yet know him. But God spoke to me just a few days ago and, and reminded me that Jesus is the shepherd who leads us by springs of living water. And this morning, he's pulling us back, drawing us back, leading us again to these springs of living water because there's more. I want more. I want more. And I want more for you. So my final point, I'm going to just really quickly, this has got to be so quick. God's presence in the church... God's new home is where the worship happens, and it's when we're gathered together. Jesus said that the, the temple's going in Jerusalem. The place where God's glory used to come is no longer the place where he, he will live. He's chosen for himself a new dwelling place, and it's made out of living stones. It's when we're joined together in loving relationship that God's spirit comes and dwells amongst us. And it's in this context that the gifts of the spirit help us in our worship and in building one another up. On Friday, I found a house very close to us. I'd never seen it before with a blue plaque. Can you see who lived there? J.R.R. Tolkien from 1924 to 1925. Now, the thing is about blue plaques, they're very interesting. And the house itself may be interesting and have things that evoke memories of that person. But Tolkien is no longer there. He's not in the house. Right? In fact, he's not anywhere to be found. And sometimes I, th I fear that God's church is like that. That we've got a plaque up, but God himself is nowhere to be found. That he's not in the house. He's long since moved on. We want him to be with us. Right? We want... The, the, a survey was done that said that so many people left church every Sunday without ever experiencing the presence of God. Now that's tragic.
tragic, isn't it? And I, our goal is not to chase feelings or worse still, to create a feel-good atmosphere. Our goal, our longing is to know and encounter and experience and to enjoy the living God and to be overwhelmed by him in that. And so you get a sense from Acts and Paul's letters that when the church met, often in homes and sometimes in rented halls like just like this, that the meetings were anything but predictable. Again and again, God showed up. Um, the, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a spontaneity in worship when God shows up. 1 Corinthians 14, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Now, everything must be done um, decently and in order, right? But it's a spontaneous revelation and presence of the Spirit of God that's expected. What about, what about our meetings if, if we have guests who aren't Christians in our meetings? Let me just uh, tell you a, a short story. Because I think this does worry us, doesn't it? That like we would be seen to be a bit too crazy if God showed up and stuff started happening. And it could just be very, very off-putting. Phil Moore, who writes these great little commentaries, uh, once worked for a company called Procter & Gamble. And he'd been talking about his faith with his boss, who was one of the directors, for over three years, and finally managed to persuade him to come to church. And Phil says he was really hoping that it would be one of those quiet Sundays. But everything kicked off. There was tongues and interpretation and prophecies and more tongues and singing in the spirit and half an hour of charismatic worship gone wild. And he looked at his boss, and his boss was just poker-faced. And he said he felt so embarrassed. And then he says, after the service, my director gave me his evaluation of the meeting with all of the razor-sharp clarity which had earned him a job at the top of his field. What happened just then was completely outside of my frame of reference. But I expected that. He kept on telling me that God is real and that we can experience him. And if I hadn't found anything supernatural in your church, I simply wouldn't have believed you. Me. Yeah. <laughs> People who've come in may not understand anything, but if they see God is with us, then that's what we're... We're, uh, we're going to just... Uh, we're just going to worship God together now.